Welcome to Documentary Diehards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. Ren Clayton with Sam Anderson and Nicholas Rudolph. Uh, guys, how's it going tonight? Doing well, Ren. Pretty sad that uh, NFL is over, but it's almost the best time of the year with the uh, NFL draft, which is my, my go-to time. And, uh, draft in the offseason. Exactly. Vikings got a new coach today, Kevin O'Connell. Pretty excited about that. What's up with you yeah. guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exciting times. Nick, Nick, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, excited to see what the new regime does, I guess. Uh, you know, of course, they're making it seem like a match made in heaven. So uh, not that they wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything other than that on the first day, of course. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, interested for that. Interested for a lot of the, uh, I guess, uh, NFL offseason drama and, and go from there. But mainly excited about a uh, middle of college basketball season now and gearing up for March madness is not too far away. So kind of the next big thing. Yeah. Like whenever we text in the group message, Nick, you're always just like, Oh, just busy grinding. I'm watching these college basketball games every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it was funny because um, last night was the last night or two nights ago, probably both nights, but I'm like, Oh, I should walk this, watch this doc. Um, you know, definitely. And then I was like, nope like there's like you know two good uh college basketball games on or maybe it was i don't know which night it was but then i procrastinated and and here we are a day late so that's all my fault <laughs> so give us a give us a, some a team to watch for a fun story following as uh, yeah i mean uh in the big 10 rutgers has been hot lately they've just uh, uh beat two top 25 teams they beat uh wisconsin at home and was it michigan state dates now i'm forgetting uh but two anyways two big uh oh they just beat illinois last night that's what it was um so two big um you know tw top 25 teams and uh they're pretty good from a standpoint of you know like they're winning now more than they were in the past they have good veteran leadership um of uh two guys at least on their team uh guard play and then they have one I don't know where he ranks in the NBA wise, but he's definitely, uh, I would call him their star athlete. And that's Ron Harper. Zero. So, um, so yeah, they, they might turn some heads here if they keep stay hot. Um, and that's um, yeah, a lot of, we'll see what Gonzaga does. Uh, Chet Holmgren's been doing better lately. Uh, he's kind of been coming on more as of late. Of course, the retort to that is that, you know, they don't play as many, uh, you know, big power five teams. Um, so people like to uh, give them a hard time or hold, hold that, that against them. So, yeah, we'll see. Is Chet a one and done guy? He's got to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. He'll be, if he'll be a top three pick at the very worst, Still, okay. but he's projected number one overall, I believe. So, have I shared the stat? If he was drafted number one, he would be the first Caucasian American to be drafted number one since 1977. Dang. Which is pretty crazy, but yeah. That is crazy. Who was that? Is that someone name we'd know? Uh, that I don't know. Uh, I don't remember the name now, so I'm wondering if I wouldn't remember it, but oh, I can okay. Google it. I don't know. I, uh, I was going to say the Rutgers couldn't get beat the Gophers, though, when they played. That was, you watched that game? That was like, Ago, oh yeah we were there so that was a big game oh, yeah. you know, when they the home game yeah we were down three of the five starters and and uh 
Yeah, Addy still will the man to victory. So. Addy did it. The juice. Um, okay, well, should we get into our, our documentary? It was Kent Benson, so. Oh, no. Yep. No. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan, Kent. The, uh, Olympic Street, yeah. It's good. It, well, it's like the last day, I think, of, of Main Street. So it's kind of, you know, wound down as far as action. Um, watching the re-air of the figure skating on primetime right now that was this morning really in the middle of 4am or something um and uh obviously there's controversy along with that and that kind of leads us into our topic for this this week's documentary though uh i was going to tell you at the elementary school that i'm at in the afternoons we it was olympic week so we were doing all sorts of olympic activities i, you, I thought you'd be pretty pumped what were you guys doing? What are you playing? We did curling, which was pretty fun. Um, we did, you know, like with scooters and like rings on top of the scooters and they would have to like roll the scooter into a mat and then the scooter would stop, but the ring on top would keep going and then they'd have to try to land the ring onto like a, a target. Huh. It was pretty interesting. And then at one at the end you like progress to a point where like students are sitting on the scooter and then students are pushing the kids on the scooter as if they're like the stone or the rock. What kind of scooter are you talking about? Uh, like the, you know, like an elementary like, kid's scooter with like four wheels, like the little handles, like the little oh, plastic okay. ones that everyone loved. Like everyone got their finger rolled over at some point. <laughs> you don't know, you don't know the scooters? Or I anything? was thinking of a Razor scooter or something. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what else? What were the other competitions? Uh, we we did bobsledding. That nice. was pretty awesome. You put like a a big mat on top of like four scooters, and then like four kids could sit on it. And you had like two pushers and a steer. Did laps in the, around- inside or outside? Inside. So that was a fun one. Today we did uh, like Paralympic hockey. Okay. So they're on scooters on their sitting on their butts and playing hockey that was pretty cool it's been a good week ren it's been a good week it's awesome. nothing like the olympic spirit the olympic flame burns within you <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um speaking of the olympics let's get into the price of gold which is our documentary um my summary is going to be really short because uh, the topic is the tanya harding nancy kerrigan scandal in the 94 the lead up to the 94 olympics winter games in Norway, Lillehammer, I think. And um, we all know the story. I'm not going to get it into the nuts and bolts just because, um, oh, well, I'm watching the front runner just fall in the figure skating live right now. Or actually not live, but on, on TV. Anyway, um, and so like we had talked about in many other docs, there's kind of a, a, a bit of a parallel with us doing this documentary during the Winter Olympics. Um, figure skating scandals in both right now. Um, in you know, 1994, Tanya Harding um, and her involvement with the kind of attack on Nancy Kerrigan where someone injured her knee during the nationals. Um, and so that's what the documentary is about. It, it covers that, it covers, uh, has a lengthy interview with Tanya Harding, no interview with Nancy Kerrigan um, and Tanya Harding. It goes through Harding's life her rough upbringing in a household where her mom was abusive 
kind of beating her and, and verbally abusing her and um, kind of her struggles all the way through her career, um, her amazing figure skating, um, a revolutionary, I think she did a triple when it was a, when it was a big trick to be doing, not to be doing quads, but um, it, yeah, just kind of the drama and the insane media circus that followed this case um, leading up to the, and at the 94 Winter Games. Um, and so that's basically it. We can just jump right in with our reactions. And I just want to, after we do that, I just want to ask the main question of what we think happened here. But Nick, what was kind of just your brief kind of reaction to this as a whole? Yeah, um, you know, drama uh, central, of course. Um, I can't imagine what it would have been like um, to be watching those Olympics. You know, like they said, CBS paid buku bucks to cover this. And I mean, this was the dream for them, I'm sure. Um, I can only imagine what it would have been like nowadays too, just with, you know, more media, more um, people around, more, um, you know, transparency or at least closer to it. Um, you know, it, it's funny, like on a humor side of me, it kind of reminded me of like Blades of Glory because it seemed like, I don't know if you guys have seen the the dumb uh, uh, figure skating movie with Will Ferrell, but uh so there's Chaz Michael Michaels, who's like that has this hard exterior, and I felt like that was Tanya Harding. And then there's Nancy Kerrigan, who is like you know the figure, uh, like the figure child of the sports. And I feel like that was like uh, Jimmy McElroy. And it was kind of funny to like kind of view it through that those eyes. But it was just uh, obviously like the point being it was you know two very different people, and uh, this this uh, documentary focused a lot on Tanya Harding and how she wasn't the prototypical uh, figure skater. She brought power to the sport instead of uh, making it look uh, maybe more easy or smooth or, or that uh, feminine figure, I guess, um, that they would say. Um, I think one person said that Tanya Harding didn't look like a lady enough or act like a lady enough uh, during her performances. So, um, so they're very different. And um, I mean, obviously, like what you said, Ren, um, Tanya Harding had a much different um, upbringing, and I, I just feel like that created such a hard exterior for her on a personality perspective. She had to have that chip on her shoulder all the time. Uh, she had to, you know, work hard uh, without being told that she was, you know, doing well or doing great because her uh, mom was a, a, a terrible person from what it sounded like. Um, and it just created this, you know, vendetta against each other. Um, against Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding and ultimately uh, brought them to you know this crux of a situation where um, you know if you believe uh, and believe Tanya Harding or not um, did she or did she not uh, call this hit on Nancy Kerrigan to try to prevent her from being in uh, competition against her so um, you know a lot of different factors but you know ultimately that rivalry within you know, the sports uh, against, you know, two country uh, women too. So very interesting in my perspective. I uh, would have loved to be there for that or being, been alive or at least, um, you know, like my age now and have that going on. But what did you think, Sam? So much controversy, like you were just saying. And it, all I keep thinking about is I don't know where I stand on it. I don't know if I want to believe Todd Hardig that she knew nothing about it before the attack or not. And I just keep going back and forth. And it's, it's just a very confusing situation that we'll never know the answer to. Um, and so, yeah, the controversy is obviously what stands out, but 
whether you're a sports fan or not, you've heard about this story um, at some point in your life. Like they show Barack Obama in 2008 at a debate um, referencing it, you know, and and you just hear references to it all the time. Um, even in our like bar, when we did a Mount Rushmore of teammates we'd won in a bar, a bar fight earlier in this uh, podcast, or, you know, it was one of our first 10 podcasts, I think. I picked Tanya Harding, not even really understanding this whole fiasco. Um, and so it was, it was really fun to, to finally, like, get the behind the scenes and realize what this was all about. Um, really enjoyed that part of it. It also really opened my eyes to figure skating and, like, how political it is and how it's one of those rare sports where you're – performance is judged by somebody and like their judgment is whether you win gold or silver or bronze so it's it's so dependent on judges being fair and not holding like grudges against you and um that was really impactful in in figure skating you know back in 1994 and who knows if it still is today um, but it, it is just one of those rare sports, like in basketball, if you shoot a two or a three, it's worth two or three, but in figure skating, you could do a performance and one person might rate it a, whatever, a seven and one person might rate it a nine. I don't know how the scoring really works, but, um, it's, it's just really, that part is really fascinating to me as well. Ren, what were your thoughts? Yeah. If I can interject, it's kind of like, uh, we were talking the three of us about, um, like the snow pipe, uh, snowboarding half pipe and how the commentator was just, you know, uh, just very critical of the scoring efforts. And it's just crazy to me. I've always done sports or participated in sports that have that concrete, uh, you know, uh, like you said, this is a two, this is a three in basketball or your time on a cross country course or on a track or whatever. Um, you know, I've never done a sport like gymnastics or, uh, you know, like figure skating or uh, any, any like snowboarding or whatever that is, you know, and based off of that judgment from a, uh, from judges. So I was just going to say really quick, there was like that scene where Tanya Harding was, uh, they show her in like a pink dress and it, it was like a nice looking dress that she had created bright pink. Um, and, and she said that she had made it because, um, you know, those outfits were super expensive and she didn't have any money. Um, and so, and so she made it herself. Um, performed in it and then afterwards one of the judges came up to her and said something along the lines of like if you ever wear bright a bright pink dress like that again in like a national championship it'll be your last one like and just to think that somebody could have that strong of an opinion on it and also think that they have the ability to you know basically end the career of a of a star in the sport is just really fascinating to me and makes me think that there is it's not a very good uh climate for that sport you know what i mean yeah that anecdote was really kind of damning for the in i don't know the infrastructure of how the sport was operating at the time who knows if it still is or, or not i would have hoped it, i would hope it's not you know just because it seems so corrupt and backwards and and uh, yeah, so it was nice to get kind of a glimpse into kind of the workings figure skating. I've been watching it for a while. I mean, only at the Olympics, obviously. Um, I mean, not obviously, I guess I could watch it year round, but 
Um, yeah, no, I had I honestly didn't know much about the story before. Uh, obviously, I'd heard about it tons of time. I knew the gist. Um, so it, it was super fascinating, I thought, just to learn about the background of these people. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know what to think still. I finished watching it like an hour ago or like two hours ago. I, I really don't know what to think just about how I feel about a lot of these characters that were in it, you know, the main characters. The, I guess my, one of my biggest takeaways is um, obviously I would have loved Nancy Kerrigan to be in a group. She didn't want to be, which is fine. It seems like she hasn't really talked about it publicly, done interviews about it, which makes sense. And she didn't have anything to do with this. All she did was be one of the best skaters and then get, you know, get attacked. So whatever, she can do whatever she wants. Um, so I'm just curious about it. I think the only real opinion that I have about kind of what went down that I know for sure, that I, you know, kind of feel confident is that just um, Nancy Kerrigan kind of just got the raw end of the deal in every way. And I feel like she's very sympathetic. There, in parts of it, they were, there were some people who were saying, you know, she she got all these um, sponsors and Tanya, that was one of Tanya Harding's big beefs with her, right? Was she got all the sponsors because she's the, you know, I don't know, I don't know, because she's just more charismatic, more likable, more sellable, more marketable, whatever. Um, but I mean, they also mentioned how like they both came up like not wealthy and stuff like that. And so it wasn't Kerrigan's fault that like she had uh, better opportunities. Um, and it, not to say that it was Harding's fault that she didn't, it just, Kerrigan came out looking clean to me in this documentary. And I don't really know if I disagree with that. But everyone else, like, it seems suspect to me, especially Harding. And so I guess my, my question next to you, whoever wants to go first to try to answer this is just, do we think Tanya Harding knew about this hit on Kerrigan beforehand? Obviously, we don't, none of us are going to be 100% sure, but what are, we, what are we thinking right now? Rudy, you go first. Okay. Um, I think the, if I'm... I don't I, I don't think she's a likable figure, of course, in this documentary. I wanna believe that she knew about it in that she, you know, like ordered the hit. Like that's just like where my mind is at. I don't know if she totally knew about it, but I think she knew enough about it, if that makes sense. Mm. Um she wasn't gonna stop it, in my opinion. I think the most likely scenario was um, you know, the the husband and whoever else was like talking about it. You know, I'm sure there's, you know, months and years of, you know, just smack talking Nancy Kerrigan and in uh, developing this vendetta against her over the course of years. Maybe he's thinking that, you know, he can help in one way. Um, I'm, I'm sure they had to have talked about like, you know, hypothetically or something like that prior to. Now, did she order it or did she... Um, you know, say that would be great to happen or, you know, where was she in it? I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I don't know if I have a strong opinion um, on it one way. I want to believe that she ordered it just for the drama of it. And so I can hate her more, but, um, but I feel like maybe a more likely scenario is that the husband was trying to um, help, took it in his own hands. He doesn't seem like the brightest guy. Uh, none of the guys did. They did whatever they did. And then, uh, you know, to try to help her 
Um, and then if you go with the thought that like he was just using her to get more money, you know, like that she would be successful if Nancy Kerrigan wasn't there and he would profit off of that too. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of where so my... So just draw a harder line. Are you saying that you think she had something beyond what she pled guilty to, which was... Correct, yeah. About it after only, yeah. Yes. Okay, Sam? Can we just also just tell our fans about how dumb these the people who carried this yeah. out? <laughs> like, they literally have this hit on, on Nancy Kerrigan. And so the people who got convicted are what? Tanya's husband. Yeah. What's his name again? Jeff. Something. Jeff. Jeff's like high school buddy who was yeah. also Tanya's bodyguard kind of yeah. doing all of this. Yeah. He's the one who uh, just runs his mouth and tells everyone that they like had planned this all out. And he's telling everyone about this and obviously it's spreading and that's kind of how this whole thing got started. So first of all, terrible move. Yeah. And was it his dad too was talking about it? Yeah, he like told his parents and then his parents started telling everybody like that's a great idea and then uh like the hitman that they hired and the yeah. driver they literally went to detroit which is where this all took place and paid for hotels and gas and all this stuff with a visa so that puts them in the place where this all occurred hotel and- under their name not a fake name don't forget they they didn't even know they they were gonna, supposed to go to Detroit. They went to Kerrigan's hometown first, and they're like, "Oh, she's already at nationals. We gotta fly <laughs> over there instead." They're right. so stupid these guys are. Yeah, and so it's just ridiculous. And like, especially back in like '94, you could have just paid for everything in cash, used fake names. Like they didn't care back then. You didn't have to. And show also, it. didn't get the job done. Just gave her a bruise, <laughs> like a bad bruise. Right. At least like hit her twice or something. You're trying to. <laughs> Like one shot, I know obviously a deep bone bruise isn't a good thing, but yeah, they they didn't execute it well. The cover up was flawed. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the opposite side of Rudy. I'm gonna say that she was telling the truth and that Tanya didn't know about it beforehand, and that she was in a very abusive relationship where the guy was clearly after the money. And I'm gonna say that. She's telling the truth and that she didn't know about it beforehand, but was told about it after. And because of that, uh, I knew you were, this was going to be your take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, the eternal optimist is coming yeah. on. <laughs> I, I just like want to believe her, I think. Uh, and I don't know if I truly believe in this take, but that, that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I, I don't know. If I had to choose, I would side with Nick. I, my kind of thing throughout most of it, I kind of went back and forth while watching was that she is like, I don't know. It, it seemed like at first the documentary was like trying to be on her side, like paint her as this, per, like um, in the most sympathetic light, show, you know, all her struggles, which are valid. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say they paint her as a victim for sure. Yeah. And um, they did that pretty well. And, but throughout, there was all these things that she would had said back in the day um, about Nancy Kerrigan, just like these salty comments, these like just bitter things you're saying for no reason, because Kerrigan never did anything to her um, except for just be successful. And obviously they both were like, it was just weird overall just to hear someone back in the day like uh, 
talking about their rival in whatever sport it is um, in those kind of terms. Whereas nowadays people are always like, yeah, my rival is my enemy on the court, but I love him or whatever. And it's just, you don't even hear that, you know, separate from this and crazy, you know, thing that happened. But um, so let's get down to the craziest scene to me was when they, they had this friend, um, childhood friend or whatever they called her, of, of Tanya Harding, interviewed throughout, long interviews, long quotes, long sound bites throughout, you know, throughout the whole thing was like, was, was sympathetic saying, yeah, she was in this, this terrible um, upbringing, she was in an abusive relationship, um, she, you know, she was talented, she was awesome, um, I knew her growing up, I knew her from when I was six years old, and then the last time, at the very end of this movie, she says, ultimately says, yeah, she definitely did it. I just, you know, based, in as many words, she's like, yeah, I, I hate to, like, she doesn't know for sure, but she's like, there's no way she did it. In as many words, that's what she said. And I was like, oh, dang. I was so surprised to hear that coming from this friend. Now, obviously, take it with a grain of salt. Who knows? There probably was a falling out between her and this friend. I can't imagine, you know, there was probably something going down. But that kind of just flipped everything to me. And I was like, okay, I already think poorly of Tanya Harding, her character or whatever. And now, um, you know, this person is telling me that she basically thinks she definitely did it. And I'm like, why should I believe it's Tanya Harding? And so, yeah, I don't want to say that I believe the Jeff guy who seems like an even worse guy, but like, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's tough, but I probably would say that, yeah, I think she knew something about it and, if she knew something about it, it's probably as good as ordering the hit because, yeah. you know, you're the one in charge. It's, it's your career. And yeah. unless you tried to stop them, if you knew about it and tried to stop them, it's different. But if you knew about it and just kind of passed it right by, it's as good as saying, yeah, go, go further. And that's kind of where I stand too, Ren, is like, it doesn't really matter if she knew everything, but I feel like there had to have been enough where she knew something was going on. And so I think she's still at fault, in my opinion, for it. And, and I just, you know, I agree with like a lot of her interviews. I feel like she's just came off as so self-centered and narcissist. She's a narcissist where she wanted to be on top. And so I could definitely see that, you know, she would be all right with this, even if it wasn't her idea or that she didn't want to order it. She'd be like, ah, all right. Like that'd be all right. Um, and, and she just spins things. So that's always like, she's in the rights where it's like, yeah, I got to the Olympics and Nancy and I apologized to Nancy and I thought we were friends and she didn't even talk to me. And I'm like, but we've already had sound bites in this interview that you've said she's a pile of crap and that you hate her. And, and so it's like, where is this coming from? And um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, even that it was like, she was like, she was like offended that like Kerrigan was a little standoffish to her at the Olympics. Hello, you are being <laughs> investigated for ordering her to be, injured this, had, even, even if you don't she doesn't know you 100 did it yeah like she has every right to just not like want to engage there is. I have this quote i have it written down so they end up having to practice together on the same ice because they're both they're the two americans and it's the first time that they have crossed paths since all of this happened and basically nancy just blows off tanya for good reason and then tanya says for her to treat me like that like she was above me that was rude and then yeah. I, I literally wrote, dude, your people attacked her. <laughs> it's crazy. So yeah, like delusional in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, could you imagine that? Like, 
Ren, I put out a hit on you and, <laughs> and Rudy breaks your leg and then you and I are practicing together. And like you, I expect you to be nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just how flawed is that statement? And like, yeah, she does, her interviews did not um, treat her well. She definitely flip-flopped a lot, like you said, but I'm going to defend her right here. <laughs> I mean, there were things that made you be second guess because sometimes, like, the first interview after, she's like, yeah, I didn't feel safe. Like, some of it seemed, like, authentic, and maybe it was. Who's to say? But, yeah, I don't know. It's dubious. I think that the doc did a really good job of painting her as a victim, and that's why I, I want to believe what she's saying, uh, even though that's, that's flawed, I know. But um, <clears throat> from the start of it, like you guys are saying, it – she's this awesome skater who's really passionate about it. And, um, it just seems like figure skating, like the, and the, and the flaws within figure skating, like we mentioned earlier, uh, when we were talking about our observations, just on how political it got and how they wanted their skaters to look a certain way and, and things like that. Um, it just seems like, and just like her background and stuff, she was just like kind of set up to fail from the start. And even though she was this awesome skater who, you know, it was giving it her all. It was like every, and obviously that doesn't justify what, what she did if she did it. I'm just saying the documentary sets it up in a way where I like sympathize with her. And I, it sucks that because she didn't look a certain way, the figure skating world wanted Nancy Kerrigan to be more successful, you know, like that's not fair. Yeah. I feel like they're in, you know, separately expected kind of lay out a lot of issues with the system and and just kind of how if if at the very least on the micro level just her situation it was yeah not a lot of breaks and a lot of stuff that maybe shouldn't have been happening to her or you know in her life slash career um just with kind of the system and how of how figure skating works a lot of stuff that was just completely out of her control. Like she can't help that she has an abusive mom or like got a new ab abusive relationship or that she doesn't look like the typical figure skaters who dominate, you know? And so yeah. it's just a lot of stuff that was out of her control that she, she couldn't help at all. Um, that maybe put her in a place where she felt her only option was to do this, which is terrible. Yeah. And I, I do wonder about the whole like figure skating thing where they're talking about how, like they were saying like she wasn't you know I don't know what they were trying to imply just she didn't look like the princess or whatever they said in the back like Kerrigan did like she wasn't the stereotypical you know pageant person on ice like they said in the doc or whatever they said and they said Kerrigan was and there is you know a thing in figure skating if you watch it the commentators always say the judges looking for a combination of like artistry you know, grace, elegance, making it look easy is such a key combined with the technical skills. And it's a unique sport in that way where they wear costumes, right? They, it's like a combo of dancing and a, a sport with flips and spins and stuff. So it's like, I think they even said in the documentary, or maybe it was me just watching the Olympics this year, you know, they say how figure skating is, the easier it looks, like the harder uh, like the more difficult it is, like it's, you're basically trying to make it look as easy as possible, which is not the case with a lot of other sports. And, um, you know, that's just all that to say is that it, it is part of the sport, whether good or bad, that you have to 
you know, present yourself in a certain way. And certainly the costume should, I, mean, I don't think have anything to do with it. I don't know if every figure skating expert or person in the industry would say that. I mean, some might say that's part of it and that's what you're judged on. Um, there is a certain part of it where like there are some figure skaters like even tonight, um, I think the one person that got the silver medal was like hit five quads, which is it's insane for women's figure skating more than anyone else. But she, the judges kept, or the color commentator kept saying she was, you know, she's more technical and she almost disregards the other side of it, which is the artistic side and the great, the elegance or whatever. And she ultimately didn't get the highest score and the, the winner like combined everything better. Um, so that's part of it. And that's not to say like, if you're prettier or whatever, however you want to call it more traditionally pretty that you should get a higher score, but maybe some of the controversy, you know, it's represented this documentary and every documentary is a bit slanted. So who knows like what the actual judges were considering. Maybe it was just, she was more like, we know Tanya Harding was technical. She was doing, you know, these spins that other people weren't doing as, as well or high or whatever. And so that could have been part of it. We don't know exactly. So it's just a combination of things. It's hard to tell the exact full story. But yeah, there certainly was things that she couldn't control that was um, that was unfair in her life. I would agree with that. And did we talk about how this all ends? No. Yeah. Give us the tell us. <laughs> okay. So they go to the Olympics. Um, or Nancy misses the national championship because of her injury, but the committee decides that they're going to still honor her and send her along with Tanya. Meanwhile, like the trial begins, they uncover this whole cover up and craziness. Um, there's a media frenzy, obviously. Um, and Tanya's practicing at like a shopping mall. So there's hundreds of reporters there every single day, which is just wild. That was crazy to see. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Nancy was kind of like keeping things private, obviously, and just didn't really want to talk about it. And then they both ended up going to the Olympics. That's where they end up practicing on the same rink together. And the conversation was had that we just talked about where Tanya sounds dumb talking about it. Um, then uh, basically Tanya just like folds under the pressure. Um, maybe like the circumstances of everything get to her a little bit. She says that her skate malfunctions which might be true but it seems like a lot of other stuff was playing a factor in her failing and nancy is dominant basically comes back does everything as well as she can and she wins the silver um then tanya basically gets banned from figure skating for life right and nancy goes on because after of this she pleads guilty to right she she entered a plea deal and said she knew about it after it happened and then yeah. USA figure skating banter or figure skating in general. Yeah, figure skating banter. And then because of this whole controversy, partially, um, figure skating blows up and all of a sudden, like people are making millions, including Nancy and Tanya's banned from the sport. And um, she's extremely bitter about it, obviously. And um, yeah, the rest is history. And then now everyone knows Tanya Harding's name, not because of her being a dominant figure skater, but because she might have orchestrated an attack on Nancy Kerrigan. Pretty crazy. I, they interviewed Michelle Kwan, who just missed out on qualifying when they selected Kerrigan. Then Michelle Kwan went on to like be go to like tons of Olympics. I remember watching her. She was in, went to like at least three Olympics. I want to say maybe four. 
Um, she was like an older figure skater at in her last one, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, a lot of them, they were all saying basically that it did help to grow the sport, at least in the United States, as far as popularity. So that's kind of a bizarre side effect. It, it, it was interesting to parallel. Um, just want to touch on it briefly of, you know, Tanya Harding kind of falling and not performing well in the Olympics with all this, with all this pressure in her short program, especially. Um, and then, to, I mean, just today, like the, so Camilla Valeva, the, you know, the 15 year old Russian in this Olympics that's going on right now in 2022, who tested positive for a banned substance and then ultimately was allowed to compete. Uh, she had her long program this morning. Um, I was like literally just watching it like a little bit ago, half an hour ago. And she, she like fell a few times and, you know, didn't perform well. She was the heavy favorite. Like she was leading after the short program and the heavy favorite going into the games, does all the quads and the most quads of any woman figure skater, everything. So yeah, it was, it was kind of similar in that way. Like she was one of the best in the world in this controversy. You know, people have said, um, especially here in the U.S. commentaries, that she shouldn't be allowed to skate because she basically tested positive for banned substance. And so it's this big scandal overshadowing a lot of figure skating in the Olympics. And, and then she ultimately didn't even medal, um, which is the odd thing because everyone assumed that she would get gold. And they were going to hold off on giving away the medals for like probably weeks until they officially decided if, if it was like, she was basically doing it under protest, basically competing. And, um, and, and so ultimately it didn't matter because she didn't medal, but it is kind of crazy. Just the figure skating, the drama seems surrounded. I hope this feels like not the first time and not the last that there will be, you know, some controversy within the sport. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, you're just, uh, I guess you know that more uh, drama is going to come because you know that those two Russian skaters will probably get banned for something in the next two years anyways. If I'm betting in Vegas, that's what I'm putting my money on. What do you mean? The- oh, just I am just poking fun at the fact that I'm watching these Winter Olympics and literally every prominent Russian uh competitor has been banned for doping in the last like five years it seems so well i mean yeah right they're the roc they're not russia yeah and that's the whole controversy right is mm-hmm. you know four uh eight years ago there eight years yeah eight years ago in sochi there was this statewide you know doping program that all the athletes you know or, or organized doping so they all they got was like what most people call a slap on the wrist and saying you can't compete under your flag you're just the Russian Olympic Committee not Russia they still dominate all their and a part of it's understandable right some of these athletes you know didn't do anything all they did was just be from Russia and they can't go to the Olympics but since there was no penalty and now you know the world's best figure skater at 15 years old is testing positive and and now here we go again basically and it's it's crazy also I mean, she's 15 years old, so it's someone else's fault, right? It's probably her coach. It's someone. And after she got off her program today, after falling and, you know, not living up or whatever, her coach immediately, before she's even off the ice, is, like, like coming down on her, and it's just so messed up. It's going to have some lifelong trauma because she's, she does, and she's, like, weeping and, like, and her 
coaches like in her ear and she's like why did you do this? yeah and for your grandpa to portray you like that too what wait what <laughs> your grandpa that's her excuse is that her grandpa took that medication that's how she got it in her system because they shared a glass of water is that what she really mm-hmm. oh i hadn't heard that yeah because her grandpa takes trimetazine yeah and uh yeah and apparently they had a video of him saying that it was his, his fault that she tested positive there's all these russia headlines that like yeah. just read off and they're all like you know they're so they're like we're with you and like really yeah i make fun but i i can't imagine you know what she's feeling right now that's not something that a 15 year old should have to um worry about obviously and it's just crazy that she's 15 and was supposed to be the gold medal in one of the most prominent um winter olympic sports too so yeah you know, just a bad situation all around yeah i mean yeah it's it's nuts um let's get to a rating of this sam let's hear yours first mr positivity all right i loved it i i <clears throat> i just learned so much about such an important sporting thing to have happened like one of the craziest stories um in our lifetime just like i can't imagine what the world would be like right now if something like this happened and so i really liked it a lot obviously the big flaw in it was that nancy kerrigan wasn't interviewed um that would have been huge but it's not i'm sure the producers and directors attempted to get her to sign on and just were unable to so it just wasn't even a possibility so like i said I liked it a lot. I learned quite a bit. Um, I'm going to go with 8.45. What a bitch. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> there's, there's like a picture or a video of Tanya on the phone with her mom. And she's like telling her about a recent meet that she was at. And as soon as she hangs up, she just goes, what a bitch. <laughs> and then she checks the phone to make sure that she hung up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight up some like a comedy movie it's like oh you're still on the line with me and he just cuts me out <laughs> i was hoping for it but <laughs> yeah, that was gold that filmmaker Oof, that child that was doing it yeah um, so that stood out to me yeah i'll go i i agree honestly with what you said i i don't the, the documentary was amazing i thought though the like I'm not sympathetic for the person that's profiling. I gave it an 8.15 um, accordions because one time the FBI guy was like, yeah, it was one of the hitmen. He's like, yeah, and this guy folded like a cheap accordion. And I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was so, I, I, the only beef I had was the no Nancy Kerrigan, obviously, but you know, what are you going to do? It's not like this was produced by Tanya Harding or anything. It was ultimately at the end, it kind of slammed her with her, her like good friend saying she did it. So, I mean, the twist of the end, if, if nothing else, the twist of the end gave, gave makes it a high score for me. Um, well done overall. Um, yeah, really good. I don't know. It's Nick. <clears throat> yeah. Um, one thing that I didn't mention that I thought was interesting. Um, did you guys know that they staggered the Olympics starting in 92, 94? I didn't know that. That was really fascinating. Yeah, yeah I couldn't I, believe that. I knew that I didn't, I couldn't, 
like it, it reminded me that that's the exact year that it happened. But I remember, I remember that happening. So there was this weird era where winter athletes got a kind of double dose, and it was like really fortunate for them. They got yeah. to compete in '92 and '94. Yeah, and Tanya and Nancy were two of the beneficiaries, right? Because Tanya competed at both. Did they both compete at '92 and '94? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought that was very interesting. And yeah, I mean, how how amazing would that be right in your prime if you hit that window perfect that you get, you know, two in two years uh, instead of having to wait for another another two years after that. But yeah, three and six yeah. years. Um, as far as my rating, I'm going to go with uh, 8.7. Um, and I'm going to go with 8.7 mom's parrot be- or uh, put bitchy mom's parrot because there was the one time where the bitch mom uh <laughs> where she was doing the interview and then she just had a parrot on her left shoulder <laughs> i just thought it was the weirdest thing like why is the parrot there i mean it just kind of you know made this evil like person or or like character like even better i guess so it kind of it kind of worked really did. Not, but that was so bizarre this green parrot it really did she was like a disney super or not a disney um evil like stepmother yeah. or whatever yeah yeah and she's like i'm just basically like i'm just a hard ass because it'll make her better yeah. it's like i don't believe you at all but okay <laughs> yeah wow nick with the highest rating that's a, that a is, one of the first that's extremely rare i i will look up the stats on that but i bet that hasn't happened five times in our shows no that's yeah. the price of gold, guys. Oh, <laughs> ding, 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 a top 10 score from us. Uh, number seven all time, the price of gold, 8.43. The only ones ahead of it, the 16th man, the Fab Five, Survive in Advance, the U, Ghosts of Ole Miss, and Pony Excess. It does that one thing we always talk about, right, is, is educate us on something that we really should have known about. That's, that's a big event that everyone, that a lot of people know about. Um, and it really did that. So mm-hmm. doing its job. It was well done. And it was just very fitting timing. Both of you two are really into the Olympics right now. I'm sure that helped. It always ends up like just perfect timing. I don't know how. But. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to Mount Rushmore. We're, what are we doing? We're doing bad smells because we're really immature. Um, we're going Nick, then me, then Sam. Uh, I, I'm going to be upfront with you. I'm pulling up a list online of just bad smells because I think we're going to run out with the obvious ones pretty quickly. But Nick, you go first. Yeah, I'm going to go with poop. <laughs> okay, I'll go. Next question. <laughs> Need no explanation. I'm going to go with like like rotten meat in the garbage, like like your package for your chicken or whatever. It sit there like for a day. That's a terrible smell. It's like, it also makes you think that like, you're going to be like, it. it's going to infect you. So yeah, rotten food, rotten meat. Food, rotten meat. I'll just go uh, like a, a dumpster. I don't know if you guys have ever had a job where you've had to like go and take the trash out to a dumpster and like the dumpster oh, yeah. has like, juices and stuff around it and like flies and bees and all sorts of stuff. And it just smells so bad. So classic. Yeah. Wait, Nick, you did poop, right? Can we do? Is that just human? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I guess my my um, idea is 
Yeah, like poop within a hospital, so like human. Like when I walk into a patient's room and then I just smell poop or okay, or <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's good. That opens up some more opportunities for us, Sam. You, you got your next one then? Yeah, um, I guess I'll go with like a like a bleach or like some sort of really intense chemical cleaner i hate the smell of it um every once in a while i'll like put some some sort of like chemical on the shower like while i'm in it as I'm, i like scrub it down and it's just it's brutal i feel like i'm losing brain cells as i'm doing it and uh it's probably not good but i'll go with that all right uh, I'm going to say cigarette smoke. I've always kind of, it's always kind of made my stomach hurt just to walk through a cloud of cigarette smoke. Um, yeah, I know, obviously a lot of people like the smell of it. It just, it just smells weird and I don't like it. Is it the same if I say like a porta potty? Like no, that's different. That's okay, actually a different but, smell. I mean, it's yeah, similar. It's like hot summer's day porta potty or uh, like a, after a track meet or or a cross country meet or something like that, just just god awful. State fair, yeah, or state fair. Oh yes, I don't know if there's a worse thing than a porta potty. Like getting into a gross porta potty might be like a top five terrible thing in life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you didn't even have to say gross porta potty. They're all disgusting. <laughs> now, obviously, some are like probably a little bit cleaner, but like in general they're all absolutely, it's like hell in there. I mean, it's like your trap. It's, I mean, I haven't done it in years just because it's, it, there's, a, there's like any alternatives for better. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. Okay. I'd rather get a UTI than go on that down. <laughs> oh, totally. Nick, you got your second one, the third one. So um, one side note. Yeah. Uh, what I was telling you guys about like the early 2000s Woodstock documentary that I watched on HBO. Yeah. Weeks ago. There's, it's the grossest thing of all time when they show the porta potties. It's literally like Ren would have nightmares for. Yeah, I'm, honestly, my stomach is kind of starting to hurt just talking about this. I'm yeah, I won't even go into detail. <laughs> like, imagine just like tens of thousands of people in like one area that doesn't have enough bathrooms. And <laughs> go ahead, Rudy. Sorry, I'm just watching Ren just <laughs> get visibly ill as we talk about this more. Um, I'm going to go with like algae off the lake like a lake that smells really bad if you're walking by it running by it um anything like that good uh, i'm gonna go with a cow manure cow pie just especially if you step in it i've done that in my youth many times the worst it's and talk about flies like hundreds of flies uh, like my my grandparents had a cattle ranch that i used to go in the summers and just out of the pasture, just, I mean, there's size of like, like Frisbees, like bigger than that. And it's disgusting. It smells so strong too. There's better pie out there, right? There's gotta be. <laughs> yeah. It's no key lime. I got two in a row. I'm going with a really distinct one. And that is the smell of a wet dog. It is such a disgusting smell. Yeah. There's not much you can do about it. Sorry, Mosby. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I kind of like a, a wet dog smell. I mean, not the bet when it's really pungent, but like when it's just like was in the lake. It's not always bad. I don't think you're so weird, man. I maybe I haven't really smelled oh, a true wet dog. Uh, 
it's uh-huh. real, it's, it's a, how do you not hate that smell it's so gross mm-hmm. <laughs> all right uh disagree there but it's good that's what the mount rushmore's are all about right all right last one all right last one i'm just gonna go with straight body odor no one said body odor yet like teenage body odor yeah like hitting puberty and you just start sweating too much says, says the gym teacher <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> i mean that uh yeah that obviously plays a factor in my uh deciding but i think like middle school is like the worst time probably in your life when you're like going through body changes you don't really like know proper hygiene yet where you're like yeah, I probably should put on deodorant like after getting showers. <laughs> yeah, I could shower once in a while or whatever. Or like, oh, I shouldn't use like a full bottle of Axe body spray. Because I feel like when we were in middle school, like that was the phase. It's like, let's cover up our stench with half a bottle of Axe. Yeah, that'll smell better. <laughs> that'll smell better. There you go, Ru- there you go, Ren. I just gave you your uh, last pick. A full bottle of Axe on one. Oh, bottle. no. I'm going to go with another uh, rural one. It's driving through just kind of wherever, you know, the country. And, uh, and you know, you drive by like a pig farm. And you're like, what? I'm trapped. Like, how do I escape? Because it goes on for miles. And it's so strong. It's like a skunk, but way worse. Um, it, and it, it, there's like, there's been towns that I've driven through or areas, counties that like, you're like, how do these people live? Cause like, there's like towns next door, next to it where there's like people and it's not, it's not just like out and completely rural. It's, it's insane. Is it Wasika? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say exactly where, but yeah, no, no, I, it, there's multiple places that it's happened. I mean, I've smelled it hundreds of times, but it's, yeah, it's brutal. It's terrible. And it's probably just when the wind is blowing it from a certain angle, but it's awful. That, that's one I can get behind. That yeah. is a very gross smell. Rudy, what's so funny over there? We're just laughing at uh, Aaron and I, at how do these people live? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because like one time I went to a, like in a Walmart and you could even smell it as you're walking out of your car to the Walmart. It's like, well, this is a town where people like have their homes. Like, is this just, do they not, sm- they must not smell it because they're used to it. That's the only <laughs> solution. There's a small town near my hometown that has a paper mill that just reeks all the time. My dad worked at that paper mill for a lot of my life. Like, I don't know if you know what a paper mill smells like, but it's kind of just like, we don't. like, paper, like, rotten, kind of like a rotten egg smell, basically. Oh. The whole town reeks of it. Like my dad would get home from work and his like clothes would reek of it. And yeah. he'd always be like, well, every time we drive by, he'd be like, smells like money. Because <laughs> <laughs> they wrote his paycheck. So. Wow. Yeah. The more you know. Yeah. Uh, Ren, could you just uh, clarify where, where do you live? Right now? Yeah, just like, you know, do you live in, in the country? Do you live, you live I here in Minneapolis? <laughs> Not downtown? It's basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, just just curious. Why? I thought maybe you lived in the rural area with your uh, affinity for for all these rural smells. <laughs> no, but I spent many a day and time in rural Minnesota. <laughs> uh, well, um, 
my pick, right? Yep. Last one. I'm gonna go with the work refrigerator. <laughs> oh yeah. Just the mixing pot of just you know some like decent smells. Someone always brings a bad smell. Someone and then leaves something in there too long. Together. Someone leaves something in there for too long and just yep. thinks about it. Someone like spills something and just doesn't clean it up because they're like, I don't want to be the one who cleans the fridge. Yeah. I mean that or the microwave. I guess you could argue that that might be a little worse. That's true. But- honorable mention i think would be just like burnt food when you burn something in like a oven and it just lights up your house forever another honorable mention is vomit which Mm -hmm. i felt like doing through this whole conversation but that's uh i was gonna gonna say fart since nobody did that but i figured that was too close to poop and i already have like two poop related uh things i should probably branch out <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be too one-sided here all right we did the mount rushmore of bad smells rudy went with poop porta potties algae on a lake and work fridges ren went with rotten meat cigarette smoke which i think was might have been the, the pick of the draft right there yeah. cow manure and pig farms i went with dumpsters bleach slash chemical cleaners wet dog and teenage body odor i'm just uh this one left me with a frown on my face (laughs) (laughs) a face that looked like i smelled something bad um should we should we just roll through do we do we have a a documentary wish list should we just we're running out of time i can do it i can do it really quick because i'm just doing it off the top of my head without uh, doing much research but um i read a book a uh, few, few years ago about uh, one of the most famous runner, American distance runners in U.S. history. His name's Frank Shorter. And he has a really um, interesting, he had a really interesting career in life in that he grew up in a super abusive household where like his, his family seemed like on the outside, like they were this great, like p- pretty wealthy family and things were good. But like at night, Uh, him and his siblings were like abused by his dad pretty severely um and then went on to kind of like start a running revolution like he was a diehard runner before being a runner was cool or in in the u.s and um was running like 100 mile weeks for a long time 10 to 15 years in his prime um became one of the greatest American distance runners of all time, ran with like, was really good friends with Steve Prefontaine, who's his more famous counterpart, I guess. And um, he won the 1972 um, Olympic marathon and then went on to take second place at the Olympic marathon um, in 1976. And I think ideally in this documentary, which might be kind of hard because it's old, it would just um, take place with, going through like what his everyday training is like, what it's like to, what it was like to be like a diehard runner back in the seventies. And, um, and then he wins the gold in 72 and then takes second in 76. And it kind of comes back to something we were just talking about. He takes second place to someone who later on was uh, convicted. I think he was from Russia uh, convicted of um, doping. And yeah, either that or like, yeah, I don't remember, but Anyways, we'll say Russia. <laughs> yeah, we'll say Russia. But he probably would have won um, two. Come after you. He probably would have won two Olympic golds in the marathon. Um, and you, U.S. runners haven't really done anything like that since. So I just think it'd be a really interesting. His whole life was pretty interesting. And then 
um, because he did so well in like 72 and 76, I think after 72, when he won the gold, um, they televised it and it started like a boom in American running um, where everyday people started realizing like, oh, if I, if I run a couple miles a day, like I feel really awesome. And before then, that wasn't really something that people considered. Um, so I think there could be a lot of, you could take a lot from it possibly. That'd be even a cool side angle, right? <laughs> like, or it could be a whole documentary in itself, like why people started recreationally running, you know, as a meditation, as a workout, as a whatever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like it. What did you say his last name was? Shorter. Yeah, isn't that weird for a long distance runner? That's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Didn't really uh, um, what is what does a one hundred mile week look like in terms of the breakdown per day? Is there is there one off day in there, or is it just you eat and break it down? I mean, probably not. If you're running like hundred miles a week, you're averaging around like fifteen a day, ish. And are you going 15, 15, 15, or are you doing like 20 and then 10? One, one day would be like at least a 20 mile long run. And then you have like a couple workouts in there. You're probably running twice a day, at least like three or four times, I would say. And gotcha. yeah, it kind of like, ideally you'd probably do like 20 and then go down to like 12 and then you kind of like go up and down rather than just like 15, 15, 15, 15. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. Oh. But he he ran like something along the lines of 60,000 miles in a decade um, is what he said in his book, which is 6,000 miles a year, which is absolutely filthy, disgusting. <laughs> I fun. think I, I hit like 2,000 or just over that last year and, you know, did some pretty serious mileage for a marathon and took yeah. some time off, but still, that's Isn't crazy. Isn't that absurd? For a decade straight without really mm-hmm. being injured and stuff. It's crazy. Yikes. All right. I'll lead us into next week. Next week, episode 60 or doc, ESPN 30 for 30, number 60. It's called Requiem for the Big East. Um, it's from March 2014. It's a recollection of the original Big East Conference from its simple beginnings and regional rivalries to its national prominence as one of the most successful college basketball leagues and how it ended up fighting for its survival in the 2010s during conference realignment. Nick. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Nick's going to be two weeks in a row at the highest. (laughs) Next week can't come soon enough. All right. Cool. Uh, 